This is Women Who Build Empires, a podcast celebrating women entrepreneurs and thought leaders who are turning the tables on outdated old school belief systems and building business empires that align with who they are, how they work, and how they are leaving a lasting legacy. And I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner, serial entrepreneur, investor, and business consultant for ambitious women entrepreneurs who are boldly taking their business to the next level. In each episode, you're going to get to know the women who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of how both success and failure have helped them become incredible CEOs. Hey, Empresses. The role that women have played in the finance industry, particularly 20 years ago, has been pretty small and while it's grown and there's more women in uh, financial services in venture capital um, and all areas of the finance sector in leadership roles it's pretty um, it's a pretty small group of women who have been able to fill those shoes And my guest today, Melissa Widener, is one of those. Melissa is the CEO of Lighter Capital, and they are pioneering the way as a leader in revenue-based financing for tech startups and for businesses who are scaling up. We go into, in the interview, um, what revenue-based financing is um, and how that might be able to help your business. But Melissa also talks about what it's like being at the forefront of changing the industry um, and leading the way for other women to follow in her footsteps and have more women join her at the top. So excited to have you on the show. Welcome. I am curious because when we talked previously and And this has nothing to do with all the other great things that we're going to talk about um, that are far more relevant. But I'm really curious because you spend time between the U.S. and Australia where you live. So what is it Mm -hmm. like to be (laughs) bi-continental? Well, it's great in a lot of ways. I've spent more time in the U.S. in the past year and a half than in Australia. But I've been here now for a few months straight, which is nice. It's the West Coast Australia is very far, but actually the West Coast of the U.S. and Australia this time of year is a 19-hour difference, which means it's only a five-hour difference. So it's actually, you know, much easier in terms of the time differences than, say, working between the U.S. and Europe, especially the West Coast of the U.S. But I, our company, after COVID, went fully remote, and we now have team members in eight different countries. So even though we're technically headquartered in Seattle, I think the, my last trip to the U.S., I was there for seven weeks, and I think I was in Seattle for all of like a day or something. But so we're, it, it sort of doesn't really matter where we are now, and we've, we're doing well working remotely. How many offices or satellites do you have as you're working remotely or people globally speaking? Well, we don't have any offices anymore. We went, we had one office. We were, we very much had a pre-COVID 
culture at Lighter. This was before I was on the board and before I became the CEO, but everybody was in one office in Seattle. So that was, you know, it was that sort of pre-COVID thinking that everybody has to be in, in an office and together every day. And since we've gone remote, we have, you know, we have some co-working place in Sydney. We have a couple of our team members that do work at co-working places, but we don't have any central offices, but we have people in Central America, Canada, um, Australia, the U.S., obviously, and then we even have one team member in Africa. That sounds so much fun to just have everybody virtually come together um, and be in different places. And and what is the culture like for you as you're building um, and expanding Lighter Capital? Um, And and we can dive into what Lighter Capital is too. So it's one thing that we spend a lot of time thinking about and acting on, which is how do we build this culture? I mean, Lighter has been around since 2010 and has a great culture, but how do we maintain this great culture when we're not in an office together every day. So one of the things that we do, um, you know, we have a couple all company meetings per week and we try to make those not just about business, but about getting to know each other. Um, We do things like a lot of coffee chats happen throughout the week. So we try to get that interaction as much as possible. But one thing we do that has just been great from a a team bonding experience is we have two offsites a year that everybody comes together. And, you know, what's been happening at those offsites is they're slowly getting to be less and less business. You know, the first one was, was mainly about strategy sessions and hackathons and all of that. And then the next one with the feedback got a little bit less so and more into just activities that where we can really get to know each other. And then the last one was even, you know, more, more on the activity side and really the team bonding side. So we're trying to make sure that, you know, we get to know each other and that's worked really well. We had a couple of our team members say they've, you know, they've probably gotten closer to people at those offsites than they would have if they had worked you know, sat next to them at a desk every day. I think a lot of companies are doing this. I mean, what's amazing is how many companies, not amazing, it's not surprising, but there's so many companies that have formed to help organizations who are now remote, you know, run these offsites. And I think it's powerful though, that in a couple of days or however long those offsites are, that people are building those bonds that quickly and that deeply to be able to say that they've, they feel closer to that person now than they would have if they were sitting next to them. Yeah. yeah. A testament to your leadership and, and Lighter's leadership as well. It's working out, knock on wood, really well so far. Yeah. And it's been you know two and a half years or um, going on three years now that we've been remote, but so far it's working out really well. And look, this is a topic that's been discussed very broadly uh, in the last few years, but you know, there's definitely trade-offs. But I would say one of the biggest benefits is just the hiring pool, mm-hmm. you know, is now the world. I mean, we're still technically on West Coast U.S. time, but but it's just broadened our hiring pool. Which I think is great because that means you have more diversity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about lighter and finance. I love having incredible women like you on the podcast because I think in general, women are afraid to talk about money and mm-hmm. um, I still hear, you know, oh, I'm not great with numbers or math or investing. They don't frequently see getting funding for their businesses as an option. And you have a really unique business model. 
Um, so share with us what that is, what you're doing, all the magic you make. Yeah, so Lighter Capital started in 2010 to provide financing to startups. And what we provide is revenue-based financing. Um, so this is a non-dilutive it's non-dilutive financing for these companies, meaning they don't have to give away any equity. So we don't take stock or warrants when we provide capital. It's, it's capital in the form of a loan. And the payback on, of the loan is a percentage of revenue until the loan is paid off. And it's a percentage of cash collected revenue. So it's very aligned with the customer. The customer grows faster. We don't get paid back more, but we get paid back faster, which is really good for us. It's good for the customer as well if they're growing faster. And if a company has lumpy revenues, they don't, because their loan payment is a percentage of their cash collected revenue, if their revenue is really low one month, then they don't have a big loan payment. It's usually a small percentage, uh, under 10% of their total cash collected revenue that goes to paying back the loan. So it's a very, um, compared to equity, it's a very inexpensive way to fund your company. Yeah. So do they have to do a pitch deck or how does somebody apply for cycle funding? Well, no, they don't have to do a pitch deck. And I think that's the the beauty of it. I was in, um, I was an entrepreneur and then I was in venture for um, almost two decades and um, raising money from venture capitalists or angels is very time consuming. You can do dozens or hundreds of pitches and potentially end up with nothing, but lighter, the process to apply for capital through um, lighter capital is an application that takes 10 minutes. If you're a slow typer, um, we connect to banking and accounting data. So we're making all of our credit decisioning based on data and numbers. And we're able to tell companies very quickly, you know, yes, you would qualify and for this much. And here are the terms so they can get it. They can get, you know, spending very little time. They can get an answer quickly and get funding very quickly as well. Right, right. And what type of businesses tend to apply for this type of financing or who are your best clients, I guess, in general? If Well, Lighter's done over a thousand rounds of financing to over 500 companies. Most of our uh, customers um, do more than one round of financing with us. And they're mostly um, B2B SaaS companies. Um, so right. companies that are selling to other businesses and they have some form of recurring revenue. And recurring revenue doesn't necessarily mean contracted revenue, but um, predictable revenue. Right, right. So we're looking at the way our credit looks at looks at companies is we look at being able to predict their revenue because we get paid back based on future revenue. It's a percentage right. of future revenue until the loan is paid off. So we have to be, you know, the, what we're looking at is the ability to predict revenue going forward. Wow. And so, do they have projections that they're sharing with you or is it really just um, you've worked with so many companies that you have a general idea of what the projected revenue should be as a percentage? They do have projections and we, because we've been doing this for so long and looked at so many companies, we, we tend to be better at predicting customers companies, uh, customers, future revenues than they are. <laughs> so we put, our, we put our predictions in place and and to forecast, you know, what the timeline would be for a payback. We're typically targeting three years um, for a payback of our, of our funds. 
And do you offer any guidance to them or is it really more just of a, like a loan payment and then? Um... So the, the great thing about Lighter is that it is so much more than money. So that what entrepreneurs need most to grow their business is typically is capital. That's first and foremost. If you don't have that, it's sort of hard to make everything else work. But um, besides that, because we have this great community of entrepreneurs, um, you know, current ones that are in our portfolio and ones that have, you know, were in our portfolio previously and they either sold their company or went on to do a big venture round. And we have created this nice community where they get together and can learn from each other and share information, share questions. So there's the community piece. We also have a perks program. We offer a lot of discounts on things like our customers get a $25,000 AWS credit. We have CEO groups where the CEOs can come together. And then we also, we're, we're very well connected in the venture capital industry. So when some of our companies do want to go on and do a venture capital round, we, we help them with introductions there. Wow. So it's not just like you're really helping them grow and supporting them and, and, no, it's, and, and it's, it's the help to the extent that companies want to take it. So, you know, what I think is really nice about this type of financing, um, like I said, I was in venture for a long time is that, you know, we provide money and then if you need help, we're, we're here for that too. But if, if you don't need help or don't want it, you know, there's, there's no obligation. I'd love to talk about your background because you've been in finance for several years. And what has that been like as more women are finally starting to take leadership roles in finance and how has that changed the the industry? If there still aren't a lot of women in leadership roles in finance, there's still not a lot of women running venture backed companies. Lighter capital is venture backed. Um, but we're seeing it more, which is nice. I, when I when I think of finance specifically, I'll I'll talk about companies that are venture backed and also just venture capitalists in general, people who are providing capital to startups. That, that's who we traditionally think about providers who's providing capital to startups, and a, a very small percentage are women, but it's growing quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You went back a decade. And, and you looked at partners in venture capital funds, it would be about 2% if you really looked at partners that had check writing ability. And that's growing now. I mean, depending on how you measure it, it's now getting above 10. So um, still very low, but big multiple of what it was a decade yeah. ago. And if you look at where the funding is going, it's still a, the, the numbers are very small in terms of percentage of venture dollars going to female-led companies, it's about 4% now. But what we're seeing is a lot of firms stepping up, measuring, reporting on how, you know, the diversity of their fundees. And and when you start measuring, you do start seeing change. I think in Australia, where I spend about half my time, we have seen a lot of change there. In fact, one of our biggest companies here and most successful unicorns is a company called Canva that's run by a woman. So, and what's interesting, I'm really glad you asked this question because uh, on the lighter capital side, we don't look at team at all when we're making a funding decision. We're driven purely by the data. So what happens when when you're looking at just data is you tend to have a more diverse funding base. Um, As a venture capitalist, you know, if you talk to most venture capitalists, they'll say, what they primarily look at before making a funding decision is the team. Mm-hmm. And that is a very subjective uh, measurement. So 
you know, naturally what we, what happens there is what we see where there, you know, there tends to be, you know, a lot of homogeneity in terms of who's getting venture dollars. But because we're only looking at data, we have a much more diverse funding base. And I mean, that's what I've read and heard. I've heard a number of stories of women who have pitched um, in front of venture capitalists. And because it's all, it's frequently all guys, the guys don't relate to whatever the company is or the product or the services and they don't see it as being either of value or it's too high risk where if you are just looking at the data then it gives you a completely different perspective and and are you seeking diversity in the companies that you're you're funding or is it strictly just data we we do a lot um to educate the market on this type of funding and i i am the co-founder and the chair of an organization in Australia called Heads Over Heels that supports women entrepreneurs running high growth companies. So it's getting the information out to, you know, to people that aren't traditionally, you know, thinking that they would be eligible for, for growth capital. So we do a lot to educate the market. And when I look at where we spend our a lot of our time in terms of educating the market, it is to, um, you know, female entrepreneur groups. We have one of our investment directors who's based in New York, Jamie Moy. She's She's been very involved for the last decade in the whole female entrepreneurial space. Um, so to answer your question, we don't have any criteria at all in terms of we need to have a certain percentage of our portfolio go to um, founders or diverse founders. But because we're using only data and not subjective measurements around the team. We we looked at our data um, recently and 40% of the of the companies Lighter has funded since inception were either had a female CEO, co-founder, or, or a female on the se- senior leadership team, which is a much higher percentage than you would see in venture-backed companies. Yeah, much higher. And, and that wasn't, we didn't start out to do that, but that I think that's what ha- what happens when you're just looking at the numbers. Yeah, absolutely. What has it been like to build this company? Um, what have been some of the successes, challenges, things that you love? Roadblock? Yeah, well, I came in, I, I got involved in with Lighter in 2018. I was um, the managing partner at National Australia Bank's Venture Fund. Mm-hmm. And we, along with Silicon Valley Bank, uh, made an equity investment, NAB did, National Australia Bank into um, Lighter Capital in 2018, and I went on their board. And then after COVID hit in 2020, I became the CEO. Mm-hmm. So there's, if to ask, what is it like to build? I can talk about in the last few years from an yeah. operating role. And, you know, COVID was a big challenge. We didn't know what would happen. The company didn't know what would happen with our book at that time. Lighter has a very strong track record. Um, and we did not know what would happen with our loan book during that time. Um, so that was that was challenging. It held up, it held up really well. Um, and that's, you know, in part the government did step in and, and help a lot of these companies stay alive during the, those really dire days, sort of the first six months of COVID when people didn't know what was what was going on. So um, but it's been it's it's such a privilege to work in an industry where our job is to help and work with the most fascinating people on the planet, startup entrepreneurs. So we, I get to do this all day long and it's just, it's amazing. 
Are there any companies that you, if you're able to share it too, because you may not, that you're like super excited about that you're funding or that have a very different perspective that just lights you up? Yeah. All of them. <laughs> There's so many. I mean, really, it's there. Uh, it's 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 the thing I loved about venture and what I love about this. You know what we do here in terms of revenue based financing at Lighter Capital is just um, getting to learn about new business models and see new companies and entrepreneurs tackling new problems. And um, so, gosh, where could I start? There's so many. So what a company that we talk about a lot just because their growth has been phenomenal is a company called Seamless AI. We provided funding to them when they had just $3 million in revenue. Um, and now, and they used $2 million from us to get to over $20 million in revenue. And now they're, I think they're approaching $100. But they were able to use our money to go from $3 million in revenue to over $20 million. So they took no dilution, you know, to get to grow to get to that place and essentially grow their their the value of their company by hundreds of millions of dollars without taking dilution. So um and we have that story over and over again. I think that's an extreme because the they grew so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they do is they provide, they basically provide a tool for, for your sales team to help understand if the the data and the contact data you have is correct. So they really, you know, it's a big time savings for for salespeople. We funded, like I said, over 500 companies. So there's so, so much. To, yeah. Um, one of our Australian companies that's run by a woman, um, Style Arcade, it's run by a, a great woman named Michaela Wessels. And she provides um, basically inventory, predictive inventory management for fashion retailers okay. um, and just is doing phenomenally well. I mean, it's a problem, you know, I wouldn't have known that people have, but in terms of being able to predict, you know, when they're going to need to order certain certain SKUs and, and she's, you know, she's grown her company fourfold in the last year and a half. Um, so doing really well. We have another company in Australia called School Bites. Um, this was started by a guy when he was 17 years old and he was at his high school and saw, you know, high schools need to get permission notes for a lot of different things, field trips, and they're constantly sending home things for, com- for you know, parents to sign. It gets lost in the backpack. I mean, this is high schools and primary schools, right? And, and he, he, I don't know, he was interested in programming at that point. So he said, I think I can automate this. And he did it for his school. Anyway, he created a business and he has now 70% of all the schools in New South Wales using his software. Wow. I love that one because it had to be this, you know, stupid green piece of paper. Both my kids would lose on the way to school. Every parent can relate and think about the schools, you know, they have regulatory requirements to to not only collect all those, but maintain all of those. And so yeah. it was, he was, he just jumped in at 17 and, and wasn't even thinking, I think at that point about starting a business, he was just solving a problem. Yeah. You know, I love that. I taught, I guess, 18 year olds through the Young Entrepreneur Academy, how to write business plans. And the thing that was the most fun for me outside of seeing you know, their transition into into from really from kids to business people, but was the ideas and the way they were solving problems. And I would presume that you, with all of the companies that are applying, you get to see some really cool ideas. Yeah. And they're all, and some of them will go on to become unicorns. I mean, one of our companies, um, 
that we funded is called DBT Labs out of Philadelphia. And we provided them with $240,000 of funding. They got a lot of traction with that um, with that money. And then they went on to raise $5 million from Andreessen Horowitz and then $30 million from Sequoia. And then they did a big round and they're a unicorn and just a phenomenal story. But they were able to, to grow in those initial stages without having to go through, you know, the onerous process of venture funding and, and without having to give up any equity in the company early on. Um, there's another company that we funded uh, recently in Australia called Snaps and Solve that's, I think, quite creative. I don't know if there's a U.S. equivalent. There might be, but they they sell software to local municipalities. And it's basically, an, it's an app that people can, well, actually, you don't even need the app. There is an app, but you don't need it. But people in a, a local municipality, if they, see, if they see a problem, like they see a pothole or something, they can just take a picture, send mm-hmm. it to their local county council and the council will get it and then the council will um they they've set up the software so the council council can reply to the you know the person who sent it and let them know what's happening so you know on this date you told us about this problem here's the action we took and and it's solved so and they have they're growing um really well they're here in australia and they you know have lots of council municipalities using their product now yeah, I know there was something in Philly where you could text in certain things because um, there was a water drain that was completely blocked over by the art museum several years ago. And my girlfriend was like, oh, yeah, you just do this thing and you text yeah. it and take a picture. Yeah. And I'm not sure that actually ever got fixed, but that's a whole different <laughs> uh, Philadelphia challenge. But the the technology aspect of it was really interesting. Yeah. And what a great way to be alerted to potential problems too. Yeah. Yeah. It's great for the councils. Anyway, just to, you know, um, actually I would say simple, the technology is complex behind it, but, but, you know, just solving a real problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For somebody who wanted to break into finance um, in a, in a capital venture capital investing manner, what would you suggest? Um, where should they start looking? What type of things? What type of experience? Well, when you say finance, I mean, I think of like banking, investment banking. But if you're talking specifically about venture yeah. financing, um, there's a lot of different paths. If you look at some of the more successful venture capitalists, there's they've come from different backgrounds. But I, in in my experience, the most important background to have to be effective, especially if you're investing in the early stage, is to actually have been an entrepreneur and and run a company because you're advising these companies and making decisions on companies to invest in. So if you've actually, you know, walked in their shoes, that's quite helpful. And I found the best venture capitalists are the ones who have been entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. It's not a requirement. There's lots of good venture capitalists that have never even worked in a small company or a startup. But, uh, you know, if I were starting a company from scratch and looking for venture investors, uh, that's what I would look for. Okay. And circling back into lighter as well, what's on the horizon for you as um, we're newly into 2023? And I think hopefully COVID will be a thing of the past and everybody's kind of used to working remotely. Um, Any big plans? 
So yeah, a couple things that we're really excited about. I mean, one, we're this is a great market for us. Um, we've lighter started in 2010, which means we've until recently always been in a bull market from the venture capital standpoint, where money has been um, you know, dilutive equity, venture capital has been um pretty easy to come by and and inexpensive. And that's tightened up considerably in the last six year, in the last year, and especially in the last six months. So we're seeing a great demand. And we're also seeing um just more awareness for this that this type of funding exists. So that's nice. We had our, our, you know, Q3 and Q4 were the best two quarters in the company's history and hoping that will continue into next year. We're really spending more time working on how to build up the community and how to make sure our, our companies who want to have the ability to connect with all the other great companies in our portfolio, because we found that the best thing you can do for an entrepreneur is actually put them in front of other entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So um, really you know, doubling down on that community side of what we do. Uh, let's yeah. circle back into kind of your career um, in venture capital, but just your leadership in general. I mean, you've worked at a number of large corporations, um, you know, over the years in leadership roles. And what do you feel has been some of the the things that have contributed to your success? Ran two companies, was founder of a company that that both had successful exits early in my career. And I think I knew very little. I mean, I knew, I I know I knew very little, especially about um, leadership at that time. So um, then I went into venture capital and had had the opportunity to work with lots of CEOs, good CEOs, bad CEOs, and really observe different management styles. And I think that was great, a great education. So it's great being back in in a CEO role now and Mm -hmm. seeing if I can employ some of the good things that I learned over the last 20 years. But um, look, it's this is said over and over again. So this is nothing new, but it's really just about the team. How can you help your team members become the best that they can be? And even if it's not within your company, how can you help grow your team members, even if if their ultimate path is going to be outside of your company? And, and I, I think that's at the crux of good leadership, um, helping to you know, help other people. Yeah. And what's one thing that you wish you had done differently just throughout your career? Yeah, I think um, in my early career, it would be, I, the, the first company I ran was, uh, I, I, it was a turnaround and I was very young and um, the investor made a 15 X return on, on his investment. So it was, you know, it was a great outcome. I tried to make up for what I didn't know by just working more hours. And I, I, in five years, I took one vacation. And I think at that point, I was kind of proud of that, you know, one, one week vacation. And looking back on it, like that was just ridiculous. How much more could I have done and maybe accomplished, you know, instead of having a 15x, maybe we would have had a 30x if I had taken some downtime and taking some time because that's when the creative piece happens. So I'm a real believer that that needs to happen for staff members, for team members and um, in companies for companies to really thrive. So I'd say that's one regret. Probably also staying at, um, you know, when I think about 
that first company I ran, we could have sold it a year earlier. I probably learned, you know, 95% of what I was going to learn in that and do in that first four years. I didn't need that fifth year. So maybe (laughs) sort of moving on a little earlier. And then also I was actually talking with a woman yesterday, a venture capitalist here in Australia, and she's having her first baby soon. And we were talking about, you know, how much time she's going to take off. I I have four kids and I I didn't take any time off with the first three, like literally no time off. And it had to do with what was going on in in my work life at the time. But, but, you know, I, I, I tell expectant mothers now to do that, just take that downtime that you know, it's, you're not going to, you can make up for it. Um, and don't worry about that, but, you know, just take that time, especially, you know, really early. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in the last 10 to 15 years, it's more acceptable for women to take more time and longer time to be with their kids and not have to worry about their position, um, or their career as much. Mm. Um, and, and obviously even for dads to be able to take some time now as well. But I know when I was, I mean, this was my kids are 20, almost 24 and um, 22. Like the general rule of thumb was you didn't even tell anybody that you were pregnant until you were shown. And and then you still had to hustle. I mean, I remember going, I was in sales and I was going to do sales presentations and I would puke before and, and, and after because I was so, you know, like sick, but taking time off was not an option. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, I think about that now and I'm like, how ridiculous is that? Like, like I was really sick and how ridiculous was that? So I'm glad that it's finally changing. Um, and I, yeah, yeah. No, I, I I had kind of an aha moment. I was, when I was pregnant with my first, I was running a a software company in Silicon Valley and pitching to venture capitalists and, you know, really just trying to hide the fact that I was pregnant. I'm not, not disclose it, but just, you know, going in that initial pitch, you know, wearing big coats and all of that. Um, And like you said, getting sick before and after the meeting. I remember a few years, you know, we, that company had a successful exit and a, a few years after the exit, I remember that watching another woman who was in, the, in this almost the same space and she was out there um, really pregnant, pitching, publicly pitching and, and just owning it and just, and everybody, people weren't thinking what's she doing? They were thinking, wow, she's amazing. Look at her. She's out there. So I thought, you know, that was maybe more, you know, I was putting that constraint on myself than, than, um, you know, the public putting that constraint on me. So, so I think things have, things have changed now. And I, and you, you said this a little earlier, but the more that men can, you know, it, when it becomes okay for a man to take paternity leave and it, it is becoming okay, but when it becomes more the norm, then I think that will have just a big impact. Cause I think, I think right now in general society isn't as forgiving on for men on men for taking, if they were going to take three years off to raise their kids, the woman does that and goes back to work. I think it's just fine where yeah. men in, are a little bit more questioned. So, you know, how do you get to that equality until that piece is fixed? Um, at lighter, we have um, equal paternity and maternity leaves and, and people take it, um, which is great. So we, and, and it, they're encouraged to take it. Yeah. Cause you don't get that time back with your kids. No, no. Right. Like that's, it's such a special time. And 
such a disruption in how everybody functions as well. Like that one little person has so many different complexities, but I'm so glad that you're doing that. You're supporting um, just families in general that way. Well, and I do think in this um, post COVID remote work, it, it actually, it's a lot easier yeah. Then, I mean, there were a lot of things that were harder when homeschooling had to happen, when schools were shut down. But I think that just there's so much, there's more flexibility now. People aren't working less hours. They're maybe working more because there's less division between work and home. But um, there's more flexibility, which does does work out better for, you know, parents who are, they can go take their kids to school and come back and get on their Zoom call. For um, somebody who's interested in getting to know more about Lighter and the application process um, to receive funding from you, what is that like? And then where should they go to connect with you? So our website is the lightercapital.com, L-I-G-H-T-E-R capital.com. And it's just, there's a 45 second pre-qualification that can be filled out. It literally very takes not even a minute that will say, look, if you might be, if you might um, be eligible for this type of funding. Um, we've also launched something that's pretty exciting. It's a valuation calculator. What's my value? What's my valuation? Companies are always asking us that. We don't look at the valuation at all when we're making funding decisions because we don't have an equity piece, but it's something that companies are quite interested in. So you can go on and put in a little bit of information and get an idea of what the value of your company is. That's something we launched just recently. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody should do that just for fun. (laughs) Yeah. Just for fun. Yeah. Yeah. So those are a couple ways that to interact. Okay, cool. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate it. This has been a great conversation. Thank you, Emmy. It was my pleasure. It's my hope that you find at least one nugget of value in each episode of Women Who Build Empires. And if that's true, please follow and share Women Who Build Empires with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcast. Your support is what will help this podcast be found by more women just like you.